Hello everyone and a very warm welcome back to Footprints. I'm Pommy Harmer and this is the start of season two. Over the next six episodes we'll be exploring the Bathscape together and delving deep into the past, discovering how Bath, its people, culture and landscape has changed and developed over the generations. This first episode is called Visions of Bath. It's been inspired by Bathscape's Views and Vistas project, where volunteers are researching and monitoring historically important viewpoints, and where necessary, working to restore or enhance them. Today, we'll see the city from three different hilltops, and I'll be joined by people who love the views and also the ground we'll be standing on. We'll meet a man whose family has farmed in the southwest since the 17th century and another who's walked one of the round hills 1400 times. And we'll get ambushed by the boss of Bathscape himself, Dan Merritt. But we're going to begin in Mount Road at the entrance to Twerton Roundhill, where Di Shepherd, a landscape architect with Bath and North East Somerset Council, has agreed to meet me. It was a very windy day, and so before I walked up to the top with her, I asked her to sit in my car and tell me why Bath has been such a popular place for settlement and so beautifully designed in the landscape since Roman times. Bath as a city is a a UNESCO World Heritage Site and the World Heritage Site actually encompasses the whole of the city. So the original City of Bath World Heritage Site was designated as what's called a cultural site and um, that includes the Roman remains of Bath, the Georgian, the 18th century Uh, the architecture and the Georgian town planning, the social life of the Georgians, and then also the hot springs, and from my point of view, really importantly, the landscape setting of the city. When we read about Bath, the city of Bath being a world heritage site, and everybody, everybody thinks of it in terms of the Georgians and the Romans, and the architecture and was the built part of the environment. That's, I suppose that's what we come to often recognise when, when, when people talk about World Heritage Sites. But unusually for this city, a really important aspect of the World Heritage Site designation is its landscape setting. And in particular in Georgian times, the, the main, the architects like John Wood and the developers like Ralph Allen, they had a real eye for for developing the city uh, to make the most of this amazing landscape that that surrounds it. So the city is effectively set down inside a bowl. It's actually within the, the Cotswold Hills and it's grown, I suppose, from around the river and gradually it's grown up the sides of the hills around it. But that growth has been, it's a designed growth, and especially in Georgian times, 
the architects really planned so that people would be able to look out of their new houses at the amazing landscape in front of them. Or you had the crescents like Royal Crescent, which follows beautifully curving contour. So uh, you know, it was it was really planned to appreciate the landscape, and that has miraculously been maintained right through to the 21st century where we still we do our best uh, in planning and landscape terms in the council to respect the the world heritage site as a designation and what's called its world heritage site setting so that we can allow new development but at the same time we're recognizing the importance the really unique aspect of this city which is set within a hollow in the hills, that's how it was described originally in the, the World Heritage Site designation. And we try and maintain it so that you, you have these green hillsides and a mixture of pasture and woodland at the higher, higher part of the bowl. And the buildings, you know, they go only so far up the sides and they don't disappear over the top of the bowl and then expand forever out into the countryside so that's one of the differences between say Bath and Bristol where Bristol you almost can't really tell the landform of Bristol because it's sort of it's climbed up the hills and down the dales and just carries on expanding outwards and that's what that really is that amazing contrast where Bath is so precious because it and that's why people visit it because it's this wonderful thing in and it it's it's built and its landscape and the two aspects of it they sort of interrelate so uh, yeah and I, I find that just miraculous and beautiful and um, quite a lot of my work relates to what's known as the, the landscape setting of the World Heritage Site and then widen that I work within the whole of Bath and North East Somerset as a council area so so the work I do expands out into the countryside and into the other towns down towards the Mendips and across to Bristol and Whenever I go out, for whatever reason, into the landscape, I just find the landscape I see and the views of it that I see, just uh, they just give me so much joy. It's like I, I look at a view and it presses a sort of joy button. And I look at it, I can look at landscapes um, just for the joy they give me, for no other reason at all, no intellectual or work reason. I just look at them and, and think, wow, this is amazing. And sometimes I'm almost moved to tears by what I see. Uh, but then most of the time I'm going out to look at landscapes for work. And one of the things that I've learned over the years is that what you see is just a dimension, a moment of time. And what you see, the, the fields and the villages and the woods and the individual trees and hedgerows, they, you could just see them and they, they're like a, a flat map. But actually, what you're actually seeing is an amalgamation of thousands of years of history and how thousands of years of events that have gone on. And um, there's sort of layers and layer upon layer that's built up. And then finally, what you're seeing when you look at your view, it's this culmination of all that's gone before. And that's got, there's an amazing word for that, uh, which takes a bit of getting your tongue around, but it's called a palimpsest. And um, I think that's probably one of my most favourite words, because you hear the word and you think, what on 
you know, it doesn't sound like what it means, but it's actually describing perfectly what landscape is. Landscape's more than just a view. It's it's this yeah, layering up of thousands of years of history and how thousands of years of the effects of people and wildlife and climate all doing stuff. And then you see it for what it's like on you know, today it's January in 2022 but it's you know even my little view that I'm looking at now of buildings and cars you know that's everything's there for a reason it's not random and that's yeah it's just wondrous Okay, time to venture out of the car now into the breezy day and up the hill to see Di's favourite view so here we're looking at Bath. You're looking at the whole, well not whole, the most of the city of Bath. And it's just laid out in front of you. And it's sunk into its lovely bowl of landscape. It doesn't quite look like a bowl here, but it's sunk down amongst all these green hillside slopes all around. So you, so this is, this is the valley, the River Avon Valley. I can see right over the top of Bath, right over the top of Lansdowne. I think yeah. I can almost see Beckford's Tower, but it's a bit misty. Well, you, would, you would normally, yes, you would definitely normally. Be able to see Beckford's Tower. And way over the other side, we will be looking at Little Salisbury Hill, won't we? It's almost invisible, but it is definitely there. You can see it. It is definitely there. And turning to my left, I can see the other hill that we're featuring is Kelston Round Hill. Yeah, which is... I mean, and Kelston, these are so very similar, but one's much higher. And they're they're like these little pimples on top of... (laughs) Well, this is on top of a really narrow ridge line, but it's hard to see that where we're standing but in a way well Kelston Rounds Hill's on the very edge of the escarpment the very steep slope that drops down from the Cotswolds and turning literally 180 degrees there's a bench very beautifully put (laughs) looking out on just the most what do they call it um, this, is a, this is like a rolling farmland landscape. It's so gentle and verdant and green and bucolic. That's the word, isn't it? Very good, yes. Bucolic it is. Suddenly remembered it. <laughs> if we edge a few feet forward, we'll just get a little bit more of a view here. You might be surprised to hear this, but this is actually my personal favourite of the two views. And I think it's because I particularly love landform. It's the, sh- the shapes of the land. And so it's very undulating and it's quite gentle. And it's, it's actually quite a lot lower than the, the landscape behind us. But there's this sort of softness about it and it just touches something in me. And I was going to say that this one we're looking at is probably more natural, but actually that's probably not true, is it? No, because the immediate view of the farmland in front of us is really intensely managed and it's um, a lot of it is arable, so it's crop-growing landscape. Right now, looking at it, everything is green, you know, although I can actually see some of the fields are slightly different colours, so the crop's just coming up out of what would have been ploughed land. It's Duchy of Cornwall land, and it's really well-managed land, this, and they've they've done a lot of woodland planting, and the the hedges are all well-managed, but they're often quite clipped, and it's it's a very (laughs) organised landscape. 
another thing about coming here and looking at this view out to this farming landscape is if you come at different times of year, come at the different seasons, you get a different view again. I mean, the, the, the colours of the crops are different. So you get at harvest time, it's all golden and lovely, and then you get all the brown soil where it's, you know, the crops have been taken up and they might be ploughing or doing whatever. And then in spring, you get things like oilseed rape and you get the blue of flax. Oh, and yes. you think, oh my goodness, look at that, what on earth is that? <laughs> you know, a field of blue. And I was anything up here on Twerton Round Hill? Um, well, this is a, no structures like like a castle or anything but Twerton Round Hill is a, is a very interesting spot historically back in Saxon times it was a place where it's a bit like parish councils of Saxon times they were called the hundreds and the hundreds would meet here um, you mean they had council meetings up here? Yeah, I suppose you could say Saxon council <laughs> meetings. council could be out here. What, <laughs> Possibly. They'd probably be really inspired to do great things. Yes, it's a brilliant thing to think that they were having council meetings on top of here. It must have been quite chilly at times. I've seen a photo of this hill and there was there's no vegetation. None of this scrub is here. It's completely bald in terms of trees or shrubs. And there's a little viewing shelter on the top. And I think that was, say, 1920 or something. And, you know, it really shows people have always come here to look at these spectacular views. I think I've read that the viewing shelter was here until about the end of the Second World War and I think it was in, in the war it would have been used to you know to look for fighter German planes coming in or whatever actually I think personally that it would be quite nice to not have this scrub here and then we could pretty much have a 360 degree view which would be just even more amazing <laughs> it absolutely would wouldn't it oh So now I'm heading over from one round hill to another and I had the very good fortune to spend a sunny afternoon up on Kelston round hill with people who know it extremely well. It's just something special. I mean, I can't say I've been anywhere else with a view like we've got here today. Okay, it's nice that from Glastonbury Tours I look the distance on over the Somerset levels. But here you've got a 360 degree uh, visibility of uh, just beauty. And it's land you know in your soul. Very much so. This is retired farmer Andy Dinham. Father moved here in 46. And uh, after, I, after I left school, um, I went away, done some, worked on another farm and then come back to the farm here. But um, Kelston Roundhill and Roundhill Farm as such is so much special. There's so much history to it. It's unbelievable. And do you come from a long line of farmers? <laughs> I, I'd say yes. Because after, after father went uh, and my son took the farm over, I started finding out the sort of family history. And a direct line from about the late um, 1600s when we were farming down in Totnes. Uh, so we were, we've been constantly farming from then up until um, 05. 
And what, what did you feel in 05 when your son sold the farm? Uh, I just took the back seat, and this is when I started to find out the history of the actual farm, um, obviously what we were walking on. First thing I found, before I even started metal detecting, we were uh, walking over the steep hill, um, steep bank up in, up in Kelston Roundhill, and I picked up this fossilised seashell. And I thought, well, that's not normal to see a fossilised seashell here. I thought, OK, perhaps a bird had dropped it years ago, and um, it just sort of turned into a fossil, but I thought, no. I just started scratching around. And even today, if we just scratch the surface of that particular area, there'd be fossils there. Only little small ones, but it just goes to show it was obviously years ago, Kelston Roundhill was underwater. And obviously, then we found um, when part of the farm was found uh, ploughed, we started finding the uh, Neolithic flints and flint tools and what have you, and uh, Roman brooches, Roman coins. I suppose the entire sort of history and a lot of the stuff that I've, in fact, nearly all the stuff I've found, I've taken to Bristol Museum and they've sort of checked it out. Oh, now look, in front of us are boxes and boxes of your finds, aren't there? And maps of all the different finds around Kelston Round Hill. And tell me some of your favourites. What have we got in well, front of us? There's one, uh, a ring, uh, 2000 BC. Oh, whoa, that is old. That's a ring. A ring, 4,000 years old, yeah. Wow. And what's the oldest thing you've got, Andy? I suppose the oldest thing are the flints. Um, we found, uh, like, brachiopods and echiodermes and um, different things like that. But it's not until you sort of... OK, probably the normal person just walking across the field, don't take any notice what they're actually stepping on. It's not until you think, well, that stone looks different or whatever, you pick it up and you look at it, you think, well, wow, that is totally different. So show me something of what you've got here. Here's a... Well, that's a 2,000-year-old BC ring. So this ring that I've got in my hand, it says copper alloy, and what you're telling me is that is 4,000 4,000 years years old, old, and somebody's fashioned that to wear... It always, seemed, it always seems there's sort of a shape to it, isn't there? Yeah. It seems to be now we're on that edge, you know? That what, is old, isn't it? I what, mean, what was happening at that time? I suppose you're talking of the Stonehenge time. Stonehenge? That was yeah, built Stonehenge. then? I should, yeah, I'm sure it was. What sort of date we're looking at um, the stone circle Stanley Stanton Drew? I'm not sure. You know, but I mean, that ring is the same age as what those two monuments are. Wow. Wow. That's just extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that thrilling? It is. It's sort of... It's nice to find things, but there's so much more satisfaction of finding out the history of it. Did that give you a shiver when you were told that it was that old? I, I just couldn't believe it. That I thought, well, something that old... I mean, the people that built Stonehenge, I don't know what route they would have brought the stone, because I, am I right in thinking that that came from over in Wales somewhere? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's bluestone, isn't it? You know, I mean... Uh, Maybe they passed by. Perhaps they did. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, we well, get excited by Roman coins and things, but this is much, much older That's than it. that. Yeah. And you've got a whole box full yeah. of and finds. There's a, 
Um, that's a oh, Roman brooch. That's so intricate, isn't yeah. it? It's more what they call a call a bivalve. A bivalve. So this is a fossil. Yeah. Of a of a mollusk of some sort. From yeah. When, from when been. it was underwater. Yeah. Yeah. So how old is that? Oh my gosh, does that what I think it's? I should imagine you're yeah, looking at that as 130, 135 to one hundred eighty million years. years old. Yeah. One hundred and thirty-five to one hundred eighty million. One hundred eighty million years old. Mm. Is that older? <laughs> it's older than me. <laughs> yeah. That's extraordinary. I don't think I've ever held in my hand anything so fact, remotely what was, old like this. What was going on up here 180 odd million years ago? What? Well, well, yeah, you answer that. I don't know the answer. I won about then. <laughs> <laughs> Something fishy. Yeah. We're looking at a flint. Now, I'm with Dick Bateman, who is uh, very, very knowledgeable about all things ancient. Is I that say right? so, anyway. <laughs> Tell me about this flint. Because if I thought the ring was old, this is much older. We've am I been right? looking at a, at a ring that's four thousand years old. I would say that's one of the oldest rings ever found in Britain. Contemporary with Stonehenge. But the Mesolithic flint that we're looking at is three thousand years before that. So people were still on this hill over that period of say four thousand years in the Stone Age. And then we're seeing new technology come in with bronze rings, and then 2,000 years later, the Romans, with Roman coffins on the hill here, and then history starts, and we, we know a little bit of what's happened since. But that 7,000 years ago, those people who made the flint that we're looking at, they were following the ice as it was melting, because the Ice Age ended about... 10,000 years ago and as the ice was moving north so people moved into Britain from Europe and colonised this area and that's an example one of the pioneers made that flint and left it here perhaps when it had finished its work or dropped it and made another one and what is amazing to me is that we know there were people here even before the ice age from Pixash Lane we can find very rudimentary hand axes that are definitely of human origin and were made 100,000 years ago. So there were people in this area 100,000 years ago, then came the Ice Age and everyone moved south to Europe because there was a land bridge then and they all moved into Europe where it was warmer and they could survive. And then with the Mesolithic people they came back and followed the ice north. Wow. 
That's extraordinary, yeah, I isn't it? Okay, it's tea break time, where we were joined by Billy Brockenhurst. Uh, well, just situated just further down the old barn is uh, just sort of halfway of the Kelston Round Hill is Brock's Outdoor Adventures, and we're an activity site, uh, all outdoor activity site, who offer archery, axe throwing, a bit of orienteering, navigation and campfire packages so we sort of yeah we have all sorts of people up here so it sounds like you have quite a lot of children coming up here yes a lot of children (laughs) yeah we do kids parties and things like that um but it's yeah everybody really i've had all sorts of people come up here and enjoy some activities which has been really nice yeah and uh, does, do any of them camp out? Do you have fires, that kind of thing? We don't do camping, no. Um, but we do have, yeah, lots of fires. Yeah, we've had a couple of people come up for the campfire packages where you can do, like, cookery and things like that. And to see the sunsets are, are amazing. So, yeah, highly recommend that one. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well done. There's good provisions. Kelston Roundhill is held in the hearts of many as a very special place. When I mention it to people, I often hear how it was where they walked on their first date or how they go there on very special occasions. At the end of 2021, I and nine other friends decided to get up before the crack of dawn to watch the sunrise. It was the morning after the longest night, the 22nd of December. I'm on the top of Curlston Round Hill and the sun has just come up on the day after solstice. So we are on this planet in the Northern Hemisphere turning towards the light for the next six months and Andy you have been a bath resident for many 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 years and this is one of the places that you love tell me what you're looking at well I'm looking out to the east I can see the sun rise it's just come up above the university ridge the town is below us in the mist I can see down into western village Beckford's tower on the horizon over to the left and to the right is the trees of Kelston Round Hill and Bristol is behind me in the distance it's just a perfect viewpoint just encapsulates all that's great about Bath and the hills around here so we've just been watching the sun rise on the solstice morning it's just a very special day Uh, having seen the tump from far off for so long uh, so often and it's got that kind of iconic feeling of being you know on the horizon for me now to be close up is really quite kind of grounding yeah but it is in a sensational position and i feel that we're on the cotswold way walk of course which starts in chipping Camden way up into the Cotswolds and finishes at Bath Abbey so it's a yeah, very special place and special to be here What an amazing experience to have seen the sun rising on our way to Kelston Round Hill <laughs> Complete darkness is when we started and gradually, gradually it lit up and it was the most beautiful dawn with fabulous colours and it was an altogether very moving experience. We've been through the longest night and here we are and now the world opens up, doesn't it? The light returns. Absolutely wonderful to be here with friends and thinking about what's my intention for the year ahead. see the sun 
um, yeah, the sun is now starting to break through and you're starting to see the the high points around so if we're at the trig point if you turn to the left so what you've got in front of you now on your left left of arc is that's Brown's Folly up there on the left it used to be a semaphore tower many years ago um, and that to the left of it is the valley going through Bathford up to Box and in the distance when we can see it you'll start to see the hills at Carn and, and the likes coming back further round you drop down from Brown's Folly in, into a valley which carries the Kennet and Avon Canal the railway and the main roads down to Bradford and Avon and Dunnes Aqueduct so that is a major arterial route down that valley and then you climb up onto Bath, Bathampton Down and you can start to see uh, the cranes at the university up there and that's where the Bath Museum is and that's the skylight walk over there and then you drop down again what you can't see now in the in the foreground and in the middle distance is Bath. Bath is still hidden under a blanket of fog. But in the far distance, as the sun is now starting to break through, that is the Mendips. So that's Cheddar Gorge over there. That's how far you can wow. see from here. Because you go around that corner here, around this, this corner that takes you up to Beckford Tower, that takes you around to Kelston Round, and then on, on that way. Uh, you can't see Kelston Round from here. So you're going, you're looking over... Woolly Valley here and Swainswick Valley out to what is now Beckford Tower which is very clear and the new housing estate that was built there on um, Ensley, MOD Ensley used to be up there and then you go along the ridge line and then just out of the mist now you can see Freezing Hill and the line of trees which is beautifully oh it's right up against the horizon there you can beautifully see it and then as you come further around oh there it is Charmy Down and Charmy Down's the next plateau over that was Barry Cox one of the Cotswold Wardens describing the view from the top of Little Salisbury Hill and to get to this point I had first arranged to meet him in the car park at the bottom of the hill where we were ambushed by someone very well known to this podcast. The boss of Bathscape, Dan Merritt. Dan, hello, what are you doing Hi, here? Polly. Yeah, sorry about this. It's a bit of a coincidence, <laughs> isn't it? Well, I'm here meeting Nicole from Cotswold Landscape and also John Bartram from the Cotswold Wardens. And we've also got another Cotswold Warden and local commoner, Rob Kendall. And we're just about to look for paths. Paths, paths, tell me more. Muddy paths. We've got our circular okay. bath path and the section's a bit muddy, so we need to check it out and check whether we need to make changes. OK, all right. Well, let's see you guys at the top. I always say Salisbury Hill, but it's Salisbury Hill, isn't yeah, it? Salisbury. And, uh... Depicted in the that fine tune by Mr Gabriel, who lives locally. He lives in Box, not far from us. And do you know the words? Not really. I'm not very good singer, even though I'm a Merseysider. Are you a Merseyside? Oh, well, look, I've got the words here. This is the first verse, and after this, it doesn't mention Salisbury Hill. So, this is Peter Gabriel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Climbing up on Salisbury Hill, I could see the city light. Wind was blowing, time stood still. Eagle flew out of the night. Are we likely to see any eagles? 
eagles. Probably you'll see buzzards more than eagles, because I think that's what he was alluding to. There's lots of buzzards here, because you're coming up on the National Trust site. Where we've come to now, we've just come up from um, Upper Swainswick bypass car park and then walked up past the the farmland farmhouse following the circuit of bath trail um, which is part of the julian housework as part of the bathscape project and so that is waymark so if you don't know the area you can easily follow those waymarks and we're here on a very very foggy day it is foggy it's about minus one this morning well, it seems to be quite flat at the moment, but I think we're going to come to the hilly bit soon. So, Barry, how often have you been up here, do you think? Oh, plenty of times. Um, I do a lot of walking with the, the Cotswold Wardens. We lead guided walks on a regular basis. And I also lead walks for the Ramblers. And we do a walk called the Four Hills Around Bath, which starts in... Bathford climbs up onto Banner Down, Charmy Down, and then up onto here before going back down to the, the canal. We do a lot of work parties with the wardens up here, clearing the top. And Rob Kendall, who's here with us this morning, he's one of the Freeholders Association who look after Little Salisbury Hill and Banner Down, um, clearing it for the National Trust. Because the whole of Little Salisbury Hill, the top of the plateau, was gifted to the community by, I think, Mr and Mrs Hicks. And it's now run by the National Trust on behalf of the community. That is very steep down there. We're not going down there, are we? No, not, not today. The path down there goes further back that way. But we're going to go through this kissing gate, which then takes us along a line of wood to the start of Little Salisbury Hill, so we're not necessarily there yet. But all along here you've got um, blackthorn bushes, so this is a good slow berry picking area. Nice bit of slow gin. Yep. And they always say pick it just after the first frost, but you don't need really to do that. You can pick them as they get ripe and then just freeze them. That splits the skin and then that allows the uh, flavours to flow out. Not that I know much about that. <laughs> so what did you do before you joined the Cotswold Wardens? What was your career, Barry? Well, um, I joined the RAF as a an apprentice at the age of 16 from Merseyside and then spent 38 years in the Royal Air Force leaving it in 2009 and then I worked seven years in industry ending up working with Airbus Defence and Space before taking early retirement at the end of 2016 So what are these bumps that we're walking over Barry? So the bumps we're walking over are ant hills. Um, the hills here are common for something called a Cotswold blue, small butterfly. And what they do is they lay their eggs on something called vetch. And the ants then take the eggs and the grubs into the ant hills to look after them. Oh. And it's like a swap. They uh, they take the 
the pupae in to look after them. They secrete a sugar which the ants love and feed off, but the ants then protect the larvae, and then when they emerge into butterflies, away they go, and the whole cycle goes. And I've only learned that since I've been a Cotswold warden. Why would I know that as a satellite engineer? So, what we do up here, we don't use mechanical brush cutters to cut the grass. We use scythes. Rob and myself are both scythes with the Cotswold Wardens. We've got about 15 of us who have our own scythes. So I went and did a, a scything course on Saturday up at Lower Slaughter and came home with a Austrian scythe and all the all the blades. My wife thought I was mad. But we get up here because the scythe takes the grass off in one go. You then rake the grass off. What you're trying not to do is break the grass up, which you would do with a brush cutter. It goes through it too fast, too many times. That then puts the grass back into the ground, and you don't want that. Yeah, wildflowers don't want loads of nutrients, do they? No, they don't. And uh, what we do up here, where Rob looks after at Bannerdown, the Conservation Board collect the seeds in the late summer, autumn. They then take those seeds and donate them to donor sites of the same soil type so we spread the wild flower meadows around okay onwards and upwards right. oh it's another gate another kissing gate This is now Salisbury Hill Plateau. What you can see in front of you as you come through that last wooden kissing gate is you've got a way marker post which was put in by the wardens to mark the circuit of Bathwalk and we're following Dan and Nicole and the rest of them up the hill. And what they're stood in there is the edge of the old Iron Age hill fort. They're the ramparts and they skirt the whole of the round at the top of this plateau, which during Roman times did have an outpost up here. But what you've got in front of you here on the landscape, on the ground, is what they call Swampy's Maze. He put himself in the trees here to stop the A46 from being built. And obviously, as you can hear, he didn't. <laughs> oh, here we are on the top. And all the mist is now below us. And we're coming up to the trick point. So I'm actually secretary of the Bath Eastern Freeholders and I look after Salisbury Hill, even though it's jointly owned with the National Trust. Um, I also look after Bannerdown Common. And basically we, we manage this land for nature, uh, conservation, and of course for people. Tell me what it means to you to be up here on this amazingly mystical day on top of Salisbury Hill. Well, it's nice, isn't it, to be above the clouds. It feels quite special. So I'd never been up here until I started this job, creating the circuit of Bath. And it's a lovely surprise when you get up here. Obviously, the views are stunning. You can't not enjoy them. It's sort of a sense of wildness and, and wilderness as well, which, considering how close you are to the city, it's a really nice surprise. 
we're just looking down uh, a rather steep slope which uh, is a little bit muddy in the winter and we're just going to see what we can do to fix that and, uh, and what do you love about being up here oh i love the view i mean the view across bath is just magnificent and uh, it's uh, it's really great we often come up with our dogs and they like it too oh pommy it's nice to be at the top of the hill um i used to be able to see my old house from here because i used to live down there in lark hall which is under all that cloud and I think this is one of those places where you see people stood at the top, always pointing, always trying to find where they lived. Well, it's just a miraculous day. I can't quite believe it, really. I thought we were going to see nothing, and it's, uh, it's just beautiful, isn't it? Well, that's it for this episode of Footprints. Thank you for joining me on our trip around three of the hills of Bath. You can find out more about Bathscape as well as its Views and Vistas project by visiting the website bathscape.co.uk. And also on there is information about the 21-mile waymarked circuit of Bath and trail guides, which you can download. Footprints was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer, I hope to see you next month when we'll be exploring how Bath has remembered its dead.